Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, it's a privilege to be back with you. It's always a privilege to be invited, but to be invited to be a part of this day is just especially special to me, and I'm so grateful. And and as we go through the time this morning, you'll get a sense of why it's so special to me, but um, I'm kind of booming. Is that that just because I'm particularly resonant today or... um, Okay, thank you. I think that sounds a little better. Anyway, um, I was thinking a few moments ago, in January of 1961, uh, when John Kennedy took the oath of office for president of the United States, um, the first president born in the 20th century, he said, the torch has been passed to a new generation, uh, a generation born in this century, born in this time. And I thought about that this morning because Jeremy introduced the last worship set by introducing my Savior, my God, by saying this is an old hymn that we used to sing years ago, and it was written in 2005. Uh, <laughs> when I think of an old hymn that we used to sing years ago, I think of when I survey the wondrous cross, not 2005. So, you know, there's a, there's a handoff that's taking place here, and it's, and it's good, and it's healthy, and it's warranted. And, and I, I was telling Jeremy uh, earlier as we were chatting a little bit this morning that um, I'm, I'm beginning to see something that I'm hoping is a trend uh, uh, because I think uh, done well, it's a very healthy thing. And that is that uh, over the last 18 months, I've seen more and more churches, rather than headhunting from across the world uh, to find a new senior pastor, uh, more and more of a willingness to look within their own ranks and to, to bring from within giftedness that can then be given greater expression. And, and I think that's so healthy. Uh, I told Jeremy, I mean, let's face it, in the first century, if the church at Rome needed a pastor, they probably didn't send a search committee to Ephesus to look for one. Uh, They tried to train and develop and grow from within, and I think there's wisdom in that because in in a case like this where Jeremy has been a part of this church family and and, and Dawn and their family have grown up with you here, uh, there's knowledge both ways. Both sides know what you're getting, and both sides apparently are okay with that because you both decided to do this, and that's a good thing. So this morning... I want to talk a little bit uh, uh, as part of this senior pastor installation service. I think that is the proper and and technical name for this. Uh, Until I moved to Michigan, I did not know that you installed pastors. I thought you installed dishwashers or refrigerators. I didn't know that you installed pastors, but I came here and all of a sudden we have installation services, and so I'm looking for where to plug Jeremy in or something. Um, but, uh, but for this morning, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Don and Jeremy and, and their bunch and gang to come here and sit on the front row, because for this morning, what I want to do is I want to divide uh, our time in the Scriptures into two parts. The first part, I'm going to talk to Jeremy and Don, and you get to listen. 
uh, and that's just fair because then I'm going to talk to you guys, and they get to listen. So everybody gets to hear what everybody gets to hear, but the first part of it is really directed toward, toward them uh, as a family and Jeremy as uh, the new senior pastor here. And then the second part is directed toward you and how you interact with him and support that ministry and become a part of it. So uh, you're welcome to listen in, but for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk to them a little bit, okay? Everybody okay with that? Okay, for the three of you who are okay with it, I appreciate that. The rest of you, deal with it. Um, so, okay. You I don't know, and you I don't know. We've already had a conversation this morning, right? Uh, pastoring is the most challenging, gut-wrenching, blessed heartbreaking task you can engage in. I consider it to be the most difficult of all jobs, and that's easy for me to say because I was a pastor, and I don't know how to do any of the other jobs. So they may be a lot more difficult. I just don't know that. But because of the human engagement and the human cost and involvement, I, I just think it's so terribly difficult to do and to do well and to do faithfully and to do for a period of time. So I want to just kind of focus on three ideas. Um, and, and, and as we focus on these three ideas to kind of undergird the role that you've stepped into here, because I know you've been doing this for a little while now, um, the first thing that, that I would tell you in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus was talking about opposition that his followers would get. And um, as he was talking about it, he was talking about a different kind of opposition than the kind that we sometimes get in ministry. But still, it's opposition. And how do you res relate to that? And how do you respond to that? And, and I think there's such great wisdom. Duh. What a surprise. It's Jesus. So, of course, it'd be wisdom. Um, but he said, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. <laughs> that is a difficult balance to strike um, because gentleness often is received as if it were weakness. It's not weakness. Gentleness, meekness, the, 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 the Greek word for that means strength under control. It's, it's strength that doesn't have to have its own way. It's strength that knows how to leverage situations because it is gentleness that is balanced by wisdom, knowing when to be strong, when to be weak, knowing when to apply and when to pull back. And, and I think the balance of wisdom and gentleness is of critical importance in ministry today because we live in such a fragmented society. We live in such a polarized society. We live in such a hypersensitized society that it's so easy in a moment when we aren't being reflective. Uh, it's so easy in a moment to drive people away from the Christ we want to attract them to. So by balancing wisdom and gentleness, it gives us a chance to express his heart. And, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Not just you guys, but all of them back there too. So I hope they're listening like I told them they could. But all of us, our job is to represent Christ. But if we don't have wisdom, we will not respond as he would to situations. And if we don't have gentleness, we may come across as more harsh than his heart would 
desire. And so to balance wisdom and gentleness, I think, is a great, great challenge, but one that I think can underline your ministry with real grace and real opportunity for impact. So the first one, wisdom and gentleness. Okay, so far, doing all right. How about you? Are you doing okay? Doing okay? Yeah? Okay, good. Good. Her eyes are about that big. <laughs> You're talking to me? Uh, I thought she was from New Jersey for a minute. Um, second thing, <laughs> you were talking a moment ago about word order being important. <laughs> Thank you for teeing me up. Um, be a servant who leads. And the word order there is critical because being a servant who leads is totally different from being a leader who serves. Um, we all see the photo ops usually on Thanksgiving where the politician hops out of his limo and goes into the soup kitchen and serves for 10 minutes and then hops back in his limo and goes someplace else. That's a leader who maybe for a few moments was serving. <laughs> that is not the image that we have of Christ in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, it tells us that in eternity past, Jesus had the very form of God, but then it says that in the incarnation, he came in the very form of a servant. Now, when we hear the word form, we think shape. We think a concrete form or a dress form, or we think form, shape, external, stuff like that. That's not what the word means. The word form means internal essence. So in eternity past, Jesus was in eternal essence everything God is from all eternity past. Essence, the essence of God. He was 100% that. But when he came, he took upon himself the absolute eternal essence and nature of a slave. He became a servant who leads and, and that means that he was leading from a low place. He was leading from what might be perceived as others as a weak place. He was leading from a humble place. But he said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, to serve. And the ultimate expression of that serving was to give his life. And, and for us in ministry, it's so challenging and it's so difficult because we live in a culture where everything's about strength where everything's about might, where everything's about power, where everything's about being on top and letting everybody know you're on top. And Jesus turns all that upside down and says, no, I did not come to be served. <laughs> I came to serve. And he didn't only just come to do that as an action or to display that as an attitude. He took that upon himself as his very essence, the creator of the universe come, becoming the chief slave and displaying that the night before the cross when he took a towel and a basin and washed the feet of those ornery, rebellious, difficult, challenging disciples. A servant who leads will always engage people in a radically different way than a leader who occasionally happens to serve. So, wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, Servant who leads. Still doing okay? Doing okay? Okay, good. Third thing. Years ago, and you know this because we've talked about it, but Ed Dobson, who for many years was the senior pastor at 
Calvary on the Beltline in Grand Rapids. Ed and I go back to Lynchburg days. He was my soccer coach, you know, we, yeah. Um, and we were having lunch one day, and we were talking about how hard pastoral ministry is, <laughs> because it is hard. It's very difficult. And we were talking about that, and he said, you know, being a pastor is so very, very difficult. But at the very same time, it's really simple. Preach the Bible and love the people. And I have to tell you that in my 20-plus years as a pastor, Jeremy, this is the place where maybe I think I failed the most because I love the Bible and would preach at the people. And again, just like the servant lead thing gets messed up when you get it backwards, so does this. Um, I love studying. I love teaching. I love preaching. I mean, that's, I love doing that. And sometimes I just wanted people to leave me alone so I could study and be ready to preach them so they could hear how wise I was. You know, I mean, it just, my brilliance would just flow forth on Sunday and people would stare back with glazed over eyes what is this guy talking about, you know? Priority is always to love the people. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century and one of the greatest teachers of preachers of the 20th century was Haddon Robinson, who some years ago died from Parkinson's. And, 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 and Haddon um, was in a conversation with a friend of mine and uh, and my friend asked him, Haddon, in all of your years as a seminary president, as a pastor, as an author, as a teacher, in all your years, what's the most valuable lesson you learned? And to my friend's great surprise, Haddon said, people are important. People are important. And, and I take that as a, a good lesson because it's easy to get to the point where you kind of become a professional preacher and the people are just there to have, to give you somebody to talk to. But just like service comes from a different place when that's your essence, I think preaching comes from a different place when its primary goal is to love the people, not just to instruct them. If we love the people, one of the best ways we can show that we love them is by teaching them, is by preaching to them. But it's so easy to slip over into, into doing that mechanical thing without the heart and passion to see a people grow in the likeness of Jesus and to see them embrace him wholeheartedly. And Dawn, Marlene is my greatest sounding board critic, analyst, advisor, and um, she's the one person who knows when I cross that line. And it becomes about performance and not about expressing the love of Christ through the Scriptures to people. And that's some place where, I mean, I think by now he's figured out that you love him, okay? Um, it's a good time to nod. It would have been a good place for it, been a really good place for a hearty amen. Um, uh, I think he knows you love him, and so that means that he can accept from you things that might be hard to hear from other people, and you can be his greatest help by helping him keep this balance in place to where his passion for the Scriptures does not block out 
the love of the flock that he needs to have. I mean, when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, <laughs> the people said, look at how much he loved him. Wow. Wouldn't that be a marvelous testimony to leave behind? Man, you remember when Jeremy was the pastor here? You remember how much he loved us? You know, that wouldn't be too bad. So, wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, right? Servant who leads, not the other way around. Preach the Bible, but love the people, okay? We good? Okay, now it's their turn. Now, if you've been giving your ears a rest during that, you can wake them back up now because I want to talk to you a little bit about the challenges of ministry and, and how you can help not only Jeremy but, but Tom and the whole team here in, in the tasks that they have. And I want you to hear some things, and you may have heard some of these before, but just so you know, in the book, Support Your Local Pastor, Wes Roberts quotes a, recent, a revealing survey of pastors conducted by the Fuller Institute of Church Growth. And I want you to hear some of these frightening statistics. And I say frightening statistics because they are frightening to me. Eighty percent of pastors believe that pastoral ministry is affecting their family negatively. Thirty-three percent say that being in ministry is clearly a hazard to my family. Seventy-five percent have reported a significant crisis due to stress at least once every five years in their ministry. I'm surprised it's not once every five weeks. Fifty percent feel unable to meet the needs of the job. Ninety percent feel that they were not adequately trained to cope with the ministry demands placed upon them. Forty percent report having a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 70% have a lower self-image after they've pastored than they did when they started. 50% of pastors have considered leaving the ministry within the last three months. Those should get our attention. <laughs> Those should get our attention because even though pastoral work is always going to be difficult work, it should never be debilitating work. It should always be joyful work, even in the midst of tears and difficulties and challenges. There should be the joy of serving Christ and serving others because that's what we were made for. And when you see these kinds of statistics, one report refers to pastors as, quote, the most occupationally frustrated people in America. As, as people in churches, that should get our attention. That should cause us to ask ourselves, why is it this way, and how can I help that from happening here? How can I help that from happening here? So I'm going to offer you three things, just like I offered Jeremy and Dawn three things. I'm going to ask you to consider three things. First of all, I'm going to ask you to choose. Keyword is choose. Choose to respect your pastor choose to respect your pastor. 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Now we ask you, brothers, to, res to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. There is an absence of respect for, for pastors today. 
They are the butt of every joke. They are the target of every comedian. They are the recipient of snide comments. There is an absence of respect, and then our kids grow up and leave the church, and we don't understand why they don't want to be part of the church when maybe, and not in every case, don't think I'm painting everybody with the same brush, but I know that there are many times that children leave the church when they grow up because they heard every Sunday at lunch their whole time growing up what a lousy place it was and what a lousy pastor they had, so why should they stay? We need to cultivate a culture of encouragement within the life of the church. Jeremy can do that to a degree from the pulpit, but it also has to be cultivated within the hearts of the people as well. We must develop a culture of encouragement rather than a culture of criticism and complaint. We'll talk about criticism and complaint in a minute, but one of the ways that you can best show respect for your pastor is how you respond to criticism of your pastor and how you yourself manage it when you have concerns and questions about what's going on in the church. Now, the things that I'm talking to you about now and will continue to talk to you about are things that, conservatively speaking, I would estimate... 100% of the pastors in America would like to tell their churches, but they can't because it's too self-serving. I can. I mean, what are you going to do, fire me? I mean, I, I don't work here. <laughs> you know, I, I have no skin in the game. I can be honest with you because I care about you and I care about Jeremy and Don. I can be absolutely honest and transparent with you about what I honestly see as the need of churches today. And one of them is there is a vacuum of respect for their pastors that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be dealt with because it is going to ultimately create even more than 50% of pastors considering leaving the ministry every three months. Ministry's tough enough as it is. You deal with people in the darkest seasons and the darkest moments and the darkest hours of their lives, and you carry the weight of that, and you carry the burden of that, and you carry the heartache of that all the time. And when you have to fight on another front of criticism that is unfounded or criticism that may be well-founded but is poorly handled, it's no wonder so many are leaving the ministry. So the first thing is choose, 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 choose to respect your pastor. I don't care what you think of Donald Trump, but he's the president of the United States. And even if you do not respect him as a man, you must respect his office in which he works and labors. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that within the life of the church, it's even more important because we deal with more important things here than they do in Washington, D.C. So here in this place, to choose to respect your pastor is of critical importance. Second thing, don't allow your pastors, and I'm including the, the whole team here in this, don't allow your pastors to do your ministry. Ephesians 4, 
tells us that God has given to the church teaching pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. He has not given the church teaching pastors so that they can do the work of the ministry and you can sit on the sideline with your feet kicked up and a glass of lemonade cheering them on. No. They are here to be coaches and teachers to help you discover your giftedness and your area of service and where you fit within the body of Christ so that you can know the joy of serving Jesus yourself. They are here to help you become servants of Christ and servants of one another. Don't let them do your ministry. <laughs> do your ministry with help and guidance and instruction and training and all the different things that need to take place within a church. But you do your ministry. Each one of you has a unique skill set. Each one of you has a unique set of giftedness, what John MacArthur called each one of us is a spiritual snowflake. Each one of us has a unique blending of giftedness that puts us in a unique irreplaceable position to serve within the body of Christ. And if you are not exercising that unique giftedness in that unique place of ministry, something's being left undone, and usually what ends up happening is the pastors are expected to fill that hole, and they can't because they don't have those gifts in that way, and they shouldn't because it's not their job, it's your job. See? Right now, some of you are really regretting asking me to do this sermon this morning. It is your job to do your job. And Jeremy can support you in doing your job just as we hope you will support him in doing his job. But his job is his job and your job is your job. Don't let him do your job. Don't let your pastors do your ministry. Explore your giftedness and find where it fits and become great at serving Jesus in that place and in that space that no one else can fill within the life of the church. Okay? So first, choose to respect your pastor. Second, don't let your pastor do your ministry. Third, and you'll be glad to know that you only get three just like they only got three. We talked earlier about criticism, concern, complaint, all those C words that are kind of dark and negative. And we said we'd talk a little bit later about how to handle it. Well, here's where we're going to talk about that. Handle your differences in a biblical way. And that means if you have a, a concern with Jeremy, you go to Jeremy. You don't go to your Monday morning coffee group. You don't go to your small group. You don't go to your four best friends that you play golf with. If you have a problem with Jeremy, you go to Jeremy. And by the way, that's not just my opinion. That's Jesus' words in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him your fault. Jesus' words, just between the two of you. One of my greatest frustrations, and I think one of the great triggers to me that at some level I was not connecting well with the people was the fact that I would have one of the elders of the church come to me and they would say, you know, I heard somebody say that, 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 and I said, why aren't they here? Well, you know, you're really intimidating. Marlene, am I intimidating? No, she's just laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... 
we, we run for cover under those kinds of statements. But when you talk to anybody else, and this, by the way, doesn't just apply to how you interact with your pastors. It, it applies with how you interact with anybody in this church. If your brother offends you, go to your brother. And by the way, the same thing applies to sisters. You go to them and you talk it out as brothers and sisters in Christ. You talk it out as two people who both live under the love and grace of Jesus. You talk it out together. Otherwise, you don't talk at all. Because that kind of unbridled speech that James warns about in James 3, that kind of unbridled speech is a cancer in the church. It's a cancer. If you have a problem, go to that person. If they don't respond well, Jesus says, okay, take some others and go along. Take some others and go along. But there is a starting point always, and the starting point always is if your brother offends you, you go to your brother. And if you aren't doing that, you do not have the right to complain because you're not willing to handle it in a biblical way. And you are willfully and intentionally disrupting the life of the church because of your own issues. And that's not right. Now, all this sounds terribly harsh and, and unkind and stuff like that, but like I say, you know, I'm, I'm just a guest, so I can say whatever I want. But what I'm telling you is not just what I want. It's, it's what I really genuinely believe churches need to hear today. I see far too many pastors who are being slaughtered on the altars of somebody else's bad attitude. And as Paul said in the old King James Version, beloved, these things ought not so to be. It's not supposed to be like that. It's not supposed to be like that. This is supposed to be a place where love lives, where gentleness lives, where patience lives, where kindness lives, where we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Because who knows, maybe I don't even have all the information. When I was pastoring in Holland, we had a particular situation, and, and we had worked through it at a leadership level and done everything we could to try and be biblical about the way we were handling this problem. And, and a couple of weeks later, when some of us started to surface, one of the elders came to me in my office, and he just ripped me up one side and down the other. I mean, he was tearing me to pieces. I can't believe it. This church is going down the drain. You guys are doing this, and you guys are doing that, and this is terrible, and you guys are terrible, and this place is terrible. And, I, 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 you know, he just raged for about five minutes. And when he got finished, I said, sit down. Only I said it a lot louder than that. I said, I'm going to tell you every step we took in doing this. And I went through about 15 minutes of stuff, all of which could be shared without violating any confidences. And when I finished, he looked at me with this kind of stupefied look on his face, and he said, well, I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, but what bothers me is you didn't know that, but your knee-jerk reaction was to assume that we would intentionally do the wrong thing. And that bothers me. That bothers me. You could have cut me a little slack and come in and said, hey, listen, there's this thing going on, and it kind of concerns me. What you got? What can you tell me? Help me understand. 
and we would be having a very different kind of conversation in this moment. Handle your differences in a biblical way because Jesus said so. Not me, Jesus. In Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy, at the end of the letter, he talks about a man named Alexander the coppersmith. Now think about this. These are the last words Paul's ever going to write. And in the last words of the last words Paul's ever going to write, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. I want you to sit with that for a minute. Because 2,000 years later, we're talking about this guy, Alexander, because he was mean to Paul. <laughs> Alexander the coppersmith. Can you imagine how much pain it must have caused Paul that he would write it in the Scriptures for us to read 2,000 years later? <laughs> Can you imagine the level of pain that was inflicted there? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I, I, I give that to God. He's got to handle that. I can't handle that. But what's interesting is there's a bookend in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. <laughs> he often refreshed me. And you know what? In my 20-plus years as a pastor, I had a bunch of Alexander the Coppersmiths. And they did me much harm, and probably there were many times when I, in one way or another, deserved it. But nevertheless, they did me much harm. But you know what? I also had some Anesophoruses, or Anesophori. I don't know. Anyway, I had a bunch of people like Anesophorus who refreshed me. And I think on a human level, I mean, we do what we do in the enabling of the Spirit. We do what we do in the strength of Christ. We do what we do with the help of our Heavenly Father. But on a human level, we need somebody with skin on to refresh us, to be an Anesophorus who can refresh us in those times when things are really hard. Be that. Be that. That doesn't mean you have to be stupid. That doesn't mean you have to ignore things. That doesn't mean you have to pretend things are better than they are when things are tough. That is not to set aside honesty handled in a biblical way again. But it's a challenge. Be an Anesophorus. Be one who brings refreshing, not heartache, who brings encouragement not despair, who brings help, not just demands. I promise you, if these six things became somehow part of the fabric of the life of this church, this church would become a place that would stun the lakeshore because this place would look an awful lot like Jesus an awful lot like Jesus because that's the kind of stuff he does. So, brother, all the best to you. You have my heart. And uh, again, thank you for the privilege of being able to do this today. Let's pray, and then the leaders are going to come and have a prayer of dedication with Jeremy and Dawn.
and uh, they'll take it from there. Father, we come to you recognizing that we are not sufficient for these things, but our sufficiency is from you. Father, take our deep-seated inadequacy and fill it with grace so that grace can be given and grace can be received, so that hearts can be refreshed and lives can be restored, so that the broken can be healed, and so that the gospel can be received. Father, make this a place that reflects your heart, I pray. I pray for Jeremy and Dawn as, as they've stepped into this role and the responsibilities that go with it and the challenges, and I just pray that you would encourage them yourself, for you are the God of all encouragement. And I pray that you would raise up in this place an army of encouragers to be your agents in that way as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Try that again. Uh, all the elders, Pastor Jeremy, <clears throat> Pastor Bill, thank you for your clear instruction this morning, not only uh, to Pastor Jeremy and to his family, but to us as a church, as a congregation, uh, how we should respond to him. Um, I too have a problem with the word installation because I'm hands-on kind of guy. Um, so I opted for the word commission. And commission is an authorization to take on certain powers or duties. And Pastor Jeremy, this morning as we're going through this whole process, um, I want you to know right away, um, as you take on these duties, your elders, and let me just back up. I know your call is from the Lord. And we acknowledge that along with you. Um, and we give to you the authority to be our leader, uh, to be our spiritual shepherd, to guide us. And I want you to know that as elders, we stand behind you 100%. We stand with you. Um, before I go much farther, Dawn, we acknowledge that not only do we get Jeremy, but we get you and Ephraim and Maya and Asif, uh, who's got a cold, okay, bronchitis even. Um, and so he, he had to go out. You know, caught that a while ago. Um, so thank you for being a part of that. And Don, just uh, Rochelle, if you'd come up, just as the smallest token we could give you, we have some flowers for you. We just want to say thank you for being willing to be a pastor's wife. Maybe we should thank the kids, too, for being pastor's kids. <laughs> All right? Um, I just acknowledge this as a great day in the life of our church. Now, I know Pastor Jeremy has been preaching for a while, um, but we stand on today. This is a day we're always going to look at where we say, Jeremy, you are our pastor. You are our spiritual leader. Um, we willingly 
want to follow your instruction as God would guide and would lead you. And so um, I want to pray this morning for you and for our church. So would you join me with me as we pray? Father, this is a great day in the life of our church. And I thank you so much for the ministry that Pastor Jeremy and his family have already had in our church for 12 years. And I thank you for raising him up in our church. I thank you for Pastor Clint, who mentored him uh, even in this process. And I thank you for the heart that you've given to Pastor Jeremy to seek to be a, a shepherd and to teach your word. Father, I pray that you would give him great wisdom and gentleness in ministry. Father, I pray that you would give him a great passion for the lost as we seek to know Christ and to make him known in our community. I pray that you would give him good wisdom uh, even to bring our church into that process. Father, I pray that you would give him power in his preaching um, as he studies and prepares, and I pray that he would always guard that time and that he would present your word in clarity and in truth as you would instruct him. Father, I pray also that Jeremy would have a great love for all people. Oh, Father, I'd like to think that we were all such wonderful people, but sometimes we're hard to love. And I pray that you would give him a great heart for that. Father, my prayer is that he would bring great glory to you and that he would make large the name of Jesus and that he would yield himself to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, I would ask that you would give Pastor Jeremy great wisdom in relationship to his wife and his children, and that he would give them time. I know church will be demanding. I know that there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of business, there's a lot going on. But I pray, Father, that you would give him wisdom to know when to say no, to know when he needs to be home. I pray, Father, that he would give him a heart to save energy for his family. I pray, Father, you would um, give him a great heart for his wife and to always keep her first and that they would guard their relationship. And then, Father, I pray for us as a church, and we've heard this instruction this morning, that we would give honor and respect to our pastor and to his family. Father, may we be careful to guard our own hearts and our relationships um, even amongst ourselves, your word commands us to love one another. Um, Father, I pray that this church would be a great place where the name of Jesus would be uplifted. What an awesome God you are. And Father, I just thank you this morning for all that has taken place. And I pray that you have been honored and glorified in all that has been said and done. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Marlene, for demonstrating to us the heart of Christ and, uh, and, and doing so faithfully through all the many ways in, you have, in which you have been called to minister to the church, uh, both here and as you travel and you speak. Uh, it's a great privilege to have you here today and just to call you friend. Um, church family, uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm, on behalf of Don and I, we, we often say um, 
there's a passage in Isaiah where God says to his people, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And we often say, man, we never would have planned this from the get-go, but we wouldn't change it for a bit um, because that's how God often works. God, God often in my life is about changing my heart for something that he wants me to be about and to do. And so I pray the same for you in your life. You know, I, I don't know all of you, uh, super, super, super well. Um, but whatever path God has you on, I pray that you would know him and seek to know him, that you would set your face towards loving him and being in relationship with him and just hearing his call and saying, God, I'm willing to do that. Um, thank you for being a part of our congregation here. If, if I could go through and say thank you to the numerous people who have had an important spiritual impact upon me, we'd be here the rest of the day. So I will save you that, but just know from the bottom of our heart, we're thankful for each one of you and for how God has placed you into our lives to help us become more like Jesus. And we trust that God will continue to use our relationships here uh, to make us more like Jesus in the weeks and the months and the years to come for his glory. Amen? Amen. So, so thank you. If there's any way we can ever serve you, please let us know. We'd be happy to, to do that in the best ways possible. Um, let's, let's pray one more time as, as we close this morning. Our Father and our King, we, um, God, it is a great weight to know when you're called to something and to know that in and of your own strength, you cannot do it. And yet, God, it's a weight that you say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and light, and there you find rest for your souls. And God, many of us come today with, with responsibilities and burdens on our shoulders. And God, we need to come to you, and we need to just drop those things and say, God, here's my marriage. God, here's my job. God, here's my family. God, here's this situation. God, here's this situation. And instead of carrying the burden of it, God, we need to say, Lord, I give it to you. Help me to walk in faithful witness, faithful love, faith, faithfulness in this right now. And God, we pray for your grace to give us just that sufficient strength for today. God, I pray that we would not worry about tomorrow. You say in Matthew that each day has sufficient trouble for itself. But today, in each day, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And God, we set our hearts towards that today. So Lord, even as we have heard, may we go and may we live for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen. Uh, before I say the word dismiss, in which you'll stand up and start talking, um, uh, we do have normal Sunday school classes today and adult Bible connections, and so I invite you to join us in one of those. I believe that there's some coffee left out there and maybe uh, some snacks in your classes if you didn't get some earlier. There's also, uh, for parents of kids who are like middle school and younger, actually younger than middle school. Some of your classes have been doing some changes in, in, in um, 
in location. And so uh, you should have received an email about that this week, but if you need to just kind of check in, uh, Marcy Venevery's at the back. She's, she's in the back uh, Narthex area, and she'd be happy to chat with you and get, make sure you get your kid to the proper place. All right, we'll help you with that today. Uh, we know that the next couple weeks could be a little challenging just to kind of get used to new patterns and new schedules. Uh, but would you stand with me, please? May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each of you this week as you go and you serve him. God be with you. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.